Welcome to this episode of Science of Camera. My name is Sebastian Remy, and in this podcast, I'm talking to scientists around the world about their research, advancements they've made, and how they got to do what they do. Today, I'm talking to Gabby Mandel, who is a scientist in the Lanthanide Research Group of Professor John Capobianco in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. In her research, Gabby uses nanometer-sized particles made from rare earth elements and explores how they can be used in medical therapies. Gabby also told me about her hobby of doing calligraphy that she not only uses to enhance the appearance of her lab notebook, but also shows on her Instagram channel. This podcast is brought to you by Teledyne Princeton Instruments, leading manufacturer of scientific cameras and spectrographs for low light measurements from X-rays to infrared light. Discuss your application and book an online product demonstration at princetoninstruments.com. My name is Gabby and I'm a chemist by training and I'm a PhD student at Concordia University in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Um, and basically I synthesize lanthanide doped nanoparticles and I study their spectroscopic properties and their biological applications uh, with regard to cancer treatment. So mostly what I'm doing is synthesizing nanoparticles and then studying how well they, they luminesce and then I'm putting them in cells later and doing some biology on them as well. Tell me more about these nanoparticles you're working with. So I work with the lanthanides, which are like that bottom set of the periodic table that everyone seems to forget about. And um, they're really cool because they are 14 elements that most of them have luminescent properties. And you can excite them a bunch of different ways with different wavelengths from the near infrared all the way to x-rays along with electrons and other ionizing radiation. And they emit all sorts of different wavelengths and they can be put into many, many different materials from glasses to fibers, you name it. And they're used everywhere, like in TVs, as magnets in electric cars, um, as phosphors for lighting. Lanthanides are everywhere. They're in your cell phone. They're everywhere. So they're kind of like this ubiquitous glowing thing that people kind of forget exist, but they're really, really important. <laughs> so so they are uh, special because of their versatility in a way. So it sounds like a, they can be applied to, to a very wide range of problems. Exactly. Do you know why that is? Why they are so versatile compared to other materials? So there's a few different things. So basically, um, I'm going to speak with respect to the 4S-4S transitions from the 4F orbitals. Um, there's also other transitions from the 4S-5D. And, um, but basically, these 4S-4F transitions, they're like really, really, um, they're well shielded from the environment. So they're very like narrow emissions that you wouldn't get from like an organic molecule, for example. And they're very, very like um, independent of their environment. So you'll see the same color emission often when you're, whether you're in a glass or a nanocrystal or whatever, like, you know, characteristically that, that red, that's europium, that green, that's erbium. Like, you just know it because it's very, very specific and unique to that element. And they, they, they're super, super resistant. So like, you can, you can irradiate for forever and they're gonna, they're gonna keep glowing. They're not going to decompose. They're not going to photo bleach. They're not going to photo blink. They're, that's what makes them really great is they're very, very robust in their luminescence. What are kind of the ways um, you use uh, these lanthanides and, and how does it work in your case? So I've kind of been um, doing this research for my, my bachelor's degree, also my master's, and now in my PhD. 
So I've had a few different projects. And um, originally, I started out doing um, hydrogels that were responding to, uh, to luminescence activation. So my original project was to synthesize a hydrogel that would break apart when the light from the nanoparticles hit them. And we wanted to use that for drug delivery. So that was a really, really cool project in terms of like developing the polymers and literally watching these, these materials dissolve as you, as you um, watch the uh, middle-anthonides emit. But I, I'm not the world's most intense polymer chemist. I wanted to do way more spectroscopy. So I started studying um, radioluminescent nanomaterials. So anything that's hit with ionizing radiation that will then emit light in the UV visible or near infrared. And we want to use the emissions from those nanoparticles in combination with radiation therapy treatments for cancer, since that's done with x-rays, um, to try and like improve um, the outcomes of those patients. Because a lot of times, radio-resistant cancers are um, they're often more susceptible to different modes of attack. So like if you have the light causing a different type of damage than the radiation at the same time, then it's like a dual-pronged attack from like both ends and it makes the cells really, really hard to keep up with. So we're hoping by using that kind of thing, we can do a better job of killing cancer. So what's the mechanism uh, uh, of emission or that the uh, uh, the materials you study um, attack cancer? So the so I work with presiodymium, and presiodymium is really cool because it emits UVC light. And UVC is what's used for bacterial inactivation as well as for, for virucidal um, purposes as well. So we're hoping, like, because UVC is really damaging, it could also damage the cells at the same time. How do you prepare the presiodymium, what's the synthesis you're doing and what's kind of the things you're looking for there? So with being like too technical with it, essentially what we're doing is we're taking lanthanide oxides, so really the mineral, and we're forming um, precursors with them that we literally cook in basically what's olive oil at 300 degrees for a few hours and it forms these nanoparticles. So it's really like this high temperature synthesis for like two hours that like decomposes um, these lanthanide precursors that allows us to make these nanoparticles. And you can functionalize them also that they target specific uh, cancerous cells, for example, and things like that. Yeah. So with respect to targeting, like I still, it's, it's kind of controversial, but I still feel like that's very much like a science fiction sort of thing. I mean, I think it's it's very achievable in uh, like a single like a single cell kind of monolayer dish. But when you're talking about injecting something into like a human body, they have to travel a long way to really find their target. And there's so many different obstacles to making a target actually be efficient. That yeah, in theory we can do it, but I think that kind of technology still has a huge way to go. So is the uh, a research into uh, uh, lanthanide-based nanoparticles using for treatment, it's still at the very fundamental stage, or how far along is the field? So the field's advanced enough with respect to, like, bioimaging and, um, and things more like that, um, especially when it's, like, with mouse models. Um, I've seen mice models. I've seen C. elegans models. Um, I've seen zebrafish, all sorts of different things. But um, as far as humans go, I think we're still a little ways away, definitely. Um, the, we've, we've done a lot of work in terms of, like, toxicity, and we 
we have pretty decent um, data that supports that they're not toxic at all. I feel like I'm a human lab rat and I'm fine, but no, obviously I'm pretty safe. Um, but I think like before there's anything remotely near a clinical trial, we still have a lot of work to do. How did you get into this field? Like what's kind of your motivation? How did you find kind of this field for yourself? So um, originally when I was in my undergrad, I was, I was super thinking I was going to be a doctor. And then I realized I have absolutely no desire to do what it takes to go to medical school. So I started tutoring people in chemistry. And then I realized, wow, I really, really, really love teaching. And people seem to really enjoy my teaching style. And so I realized, okay, maybe I want to be a professor. I need to go to grad school. So then I started thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to go to grad school, I better do something that I find really cool. And I knew what I found really cool was going to be anything involving luminescence. So I started talking to people that I knew from my classes, and I found Dr. Capobianco's group. And I had no idea what a nanoparticle was at the time. All I knew was that this professor had an entire lab full of lasers, and that that was what I wanted to play with. And just having a sit down with him and realizing, like, okay, this man's really cool. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna take the leap. And then just getting into it slowly, I ended up becoming completely obsessed. And obviously, I never wanted to leave five years later, two degrees. <laughs> but um, I've always had like a desire to do something medical. So being able to do uh, work that involves cancer treatment, especially because like my grandparents have all died of cancer. Um, I know a lot of people that have died of cancer. Um, to be able to do work behind the scenes that's still like very spectroscopy based, very um, chemistry based, and not so much just being a doctor is still like very, very gratifying without having to do all the work it takes to be a doctor and not even wanting to really do that in the end. You mentioned that you use spectroscopy uh, kind of in your work. So maybe you could explain a little bit how you use spectroscopy. You know, like it's not necessarily obvious always how exactly that helps you, how you look at the information you get kind of from spectroscopy. So could you explain a little bit what that means in your case? Sure. <laughs> so usually what I'm doing is I'm either trying to look at different compositions of nanoparticles. So depending on how much presiodymium I'm putting into my particles or how big the particles are or what kind of crystal matrix that the presiodymium is embedded into, I'm looking at okay, how luminescent are these particles? Is one composition better than another? Um, so a lot of times what I'm doing is really just looking at emission spectra and trying to correlate, okay, is this material better or worse? What's my next step in my synthesis? But the fun part is a lot more of, okay, I think I've found the best particles. Now let's see if we can actually do anything in terms of proving whether or not they'll be viable for any sort of treatment. So Oftentimes, I'm doing energy transfer studies, so I'm um, taking a solution of my nanoparticles in combination with, like, a photosensitizer or uh, an oligonucleotide, you name it, anything that absorbs light, and I'm looking to see if my emissions are being transferred from my nanoparticles to that molecule to see whether or not it ends up being any sort of viable thing that I could then begin to put into cells. So a lot of times I'm looking at lifetimes of the emissions. I'm looking at how the emissions change when the nanoparticles are mixed with those fluorophores, um, that kind of thing. But I really like the, the combination of like, okay, how is spectroscopy going to guide me in my chemistry? And then how is spectroscopy going to guide me in my biology? So there's like two steps to it. 
what is the lifetime of emission kind of in these particles? So lanthanides are pretty slow. So we're looking at like microseconds, hundreds of microseconds down to tens of microseconds. Um, that's kind of the cool thing about lanthanides is it's, it's very easy to study in that sense. But um, if you're looking at like scintillators, for example, which that would be more like 5D, 4F transitions of the lanthanides, that's like nanoseconds, like fast, fast, fast. But it's not something I work with, unfortunately. <laughs> So your aspect um, that you're investigating specifically is this radioluminescence uh, kind of in your lab, right? It's dedicated to lanthanides. It's, I think the website is lanthaniteresearchgroup.com or something. So I'm definitely <laughs> going to link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm just curious what other kind of uh, projects are kind of going on, what other aspects you are using. And I think the common thread, what I've seen on the website, is applications in biology. So the lab just like two main, uh, has two main focuses. So radioluminescence, where we're exciting with x-rays, and upconversion. And upconversion is really like uh, something that my supervisor, Dr. Capobianco, had a huge role in pioneering in the nano world. So upconversion is when you excite a material, in this case, a lanthanide ion with, uh, or a lanthanide doped nanoparticle with um, near-infrared light or any low-energy excitation. And the sequential absorption of multiple low-energy photons results in the emission of a higher-energy photon. So often, the best example I can give you is the combination of ytterbium, which absorbs 980 nanometer light, um, transferring its energy to a thulium ion, which will emit like 365 nanometer light in the UV. So it's really, really cool to be able to use low-energy radiation that can penetrate tissues more deeply. Um, to be able to stimulate the production of higher energy photons like UV. So you end up with this like very localized um, ability to produce high energy irradiation from external low energy irradiation. Um, and so a lot of what we do in my lab is looking at how to improve that. So either using dye sensitization or um, how to use that for some sort of purpose. So one of the coolest projects that I feel like has come out of my lab was from my lab mate, Paola, who basically, like, she synthesized a cell membrane on the surface of the nanoparticles. And then she introduced um, a, photo, a photoactive molecule called azobenzene into that lipid bilayer. And so she made it so that you could, like, hit the nanoparticles with near-infrared light, and this membrane would, like, break open. And so you could load the membrane with whatever you wanted, and it kind of mimicked the cell, so they went into the cells super easily. And um, you could load it with drugs, you could load it with dyes, whatever. And it was just this really, really beautiful piece of work because no one had really figured out how to make a cell membrane on top of a nanoparticle before. So there's all sorts of weird things we've done, but that's one of the more elegant ways I feel like we've used them. So what would you tell to um, other students or people that just starting kind of at to study kind of science etc if they wanted to do kind of similar things is it uh, uh, chemistry physics uh, biomedicine or what's kind of the background of the people in your lab and and what are kind of the uh, uh, things people bring with them so that's that's actually kind of the weirdest part of my lab is because we're in the department of chemistry and biochemistry but like half of what we do is physics and then a quarter of what we do is biology, like cell biology in a tissue culture room. So a lot of what I learned in, in chemistry classes was 
not super applicable to what I've done in the lab because no one really teaches you about lanthanides or really about luminescence in a chemistry bachelor's degree. So honestly, I don't really think there's a particular degree anyone should follow. I think it's more, if you're going to study science, find what you like, and then you're going to learn your best from your lab mates, from your supervisor, from reading papers. And it really is just like, that's what I love about modern science. You, you can read anything on the internet. You can find millions of books and papers and whatever at your disposal to be able to learn a field. So I find like it's less important to pick a degree. It's more important to pick a lab that you're very, very interested in and then learn based on your experiences there. Um, if you would not do this, and obviously you're kind of in the middle of and really early stages kind of of your career, but if this is not what you would be doing, uh, what what uh, what else would you rather? Maybe plan B is to be a weather girl, and plan C is to be a calligrapher. So in my spare time, I really love doing calligraphy, but I've tried really hard not to make my my hobby into a business because I feel like it would take all the fun out of it. But yeah, like. I would totally become a weather girl. I love weather. I would be a storm chaser if I could. That's plan B and plan C. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Do you have, do you show your work somewhere, your calligraphy work? Oh yeah. Like um, on my, so I have an Instagram. It's at, I just want a letter. Mm -hmm. um, and you could see like a lot of what I do is just write out really pretty science words. So like lanthanide and presiodymia and luminescence. Yeah, yeah. It's like my favorite thing to do is just write pretty science words. Do it in my lab notebook. So my lab notebook is like this weird work of art that it totally doesn't need to be, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was so interesting to talk to you, Gabby, and thanks my for telling more about your research. Thank you so much. Thanks again to my guest, Gabby Mandel from the Lanthanide Research Group at Concordia University. In the show notes, you find links to the group's website and where you can find images of her calligraphy work. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Science of Camera. Consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and follow Princeton Instruments on social media to get informed about new episodes. Check out princetoninstruments.com for the latest in scientific camera and spectroscopy technology for physical and life sciences. See you next time and have a great day.